Our scripture reading this morning is taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verses 12 through 19. It begins in your church Bibles on page 894. Please stand, if you are able, as we read from the New Testament. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Please be seated. Let's pray again together as we come to this text this morning. Father, we thank you for the fact that we can be here today. We praise you that you have, have brought each of us here for a particular reason. So that we ask this morning as we, as we come to your word, that you would shine brightly. That you would shine in our darkness. And if it please you, that you would draw those of us that are in the darkness into the light. The light of your salvation through your son. The light of the world. We pray this for your glory. Amen. <clears throat> Words, they're very powerful, aren't they? Just ask a long-bearded man from Louisiana about his words this past week from Duck Dynasty. Maybe, you've, maybe you haven't heard of that show. They're not popular at all. Or a PR executive tweeting just before her flight to Africa. Words are extremely powerful. Jesus knows this. And that's why he used the words that he used and the word pictures that he used. Take in point this series that we're doing entitled Christmas Lights. Jesus is referenced as a light and calls himself light several times throughout the Gospels. And it's not by mistake because light is a powerful picture, a powerful picture for us. Why is it so powerful? We've looked at it over the last couple weeks as we've seen Jesus, the light of life. And Jesus, the arrival of light. But let me briefly summarize those last two weeks as we look at this metaphor of light. Light is amazing, but it's extremely dangerous as well. Sunlight is the source, first off, of life. It brings us life. What happens if we lose the sun for an extended period of time? We die. And people say, oh, well, we have fossil fuels, we have oil, we have all these things. Well, what are those based on? Plant life. So if we lose sunlight, we lose life. The rose bushes in my backyard are bent this way as they're trying to strain to get towards the light of the sun because they know in that light there is life. So it brings us 
life, but it also shines and makes us aware of reality. Some of you may be traveling over the Christmas holidays and staying in a room that is not familiar to you. What happens when you go to the bathroom in the middle of the night? You need some light, otherwise your toe will meet that door and not pretty things will happen. Light shines and reveals to us reality. But light also gives us hope or joy, if you want to look at it that way. How about a a couple weeks ago when we had that cold rain for several days, and then one morning you woke up and the next morning it was shining, the sun. It brought a smile to your face, right? Because of that sun, unless you're from England, like Steve, then you're sad. But I went, to a, I went to seminary in Minnesota, and there were billboards all up and down the, the highways there in the winter with the word SAD, SAD, Seasonal Affective Disorder. You could get special counseling about the lack of light that they have up there during those winter months. And in fact, much of the therapy is based around light therapy. I find that really interesting. But we also looked at the fact that that same light can be dangerous as well if that light is unfiltered, if it's unmediated. Life, all right, let's take those three principles again. Life, if the atmosphere were to go away, what would happen? We would all burn up, right? Because that light would be too intense, it would be too strong. Also, our reality, we would be blind. It wouldn't matter because we'd be dead, but we'd be blind (laughs) because that bright light would shine, burning our retinas out. But also hope and joy. Have you ever been in a, um, in a store that is really bright with a lot of mirrors? Your hope is taken away because you see who you really are, right? Like, oh, man. That's what happens. But we see Jesus step in here in the Gospels, and we see light mediated, filtered for us, real light. The God of creation becoming man, coming here to earth, on not so silent of a night, bringing light and life to the world. So today we're going to come here to John chapter 8. If you open up your Bibles with me, we appreciate that as you follow along. And we see here the second of Jesus' I am statements. He talks about being the bread of life. I am the bread of life. I am the vine. You are the branches. And here we see this, I am the light of the world. Very powerful words. But as we look at these words, one thing we cannot walk away from is this fact. It's Jesus or darkness. There is no other light. It's Jesus or darkness. There is no other light. So let's look at this claim. Look with me down at verse 12. It says, I am the light of the world. We're going to take a little bit of a longer look at the setting in the background to this claim. Look down at verse 20. He spoke these words in the treasury as he taught in the temple. The scene here occurred in the treasury, more commonly known as the court of women. This court was actually one of the busiest places in the temple because on one side of this wall, there were 13 trumpets. They they were called trumpets because they looked like trumpets. They were really treasuries where you would put your money in. They were wide at the bottom and they narrowed up to the top. And there were 13 of them along where you could designate your gifts. A couple of them you actually had to give if you were a Jew. The others you could choose between what you wanted to give to. So we see that in this temple. This area was crowded because of that. and It was heavily traveled, making it the perfect place for what Jesus was going to say and what he was going to do over the next couple moments. He knew the right moment, and he knew the right words to say, and that's what he does because right here in the treasury, 
the day after a festival ends. What festival? If you look at the context, you see that it is the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay, well, what is this feast? It's a seven-day celebration that actually looks back to and remembers and rejoices in God's mercy and faithfulness to the people of Israel during that exodus as they left Egypt, as they wandered in the wilderness for all those years. His faithfulness and protection is provision to them. In fact, during this festival, people would live in booths or small tents that reminded them of the time that they lived without a home, wandering in the wilderness. There were two great ceremonies during this festival, one of which was where they poured out some water to remind them of the time where God provided them with water to drink from a rock. The other was the illumination of the temple, and it took place during the festival right here in the treasury where Jesus is speaking these words. It was a huge and spectacular production, both in its concept and its actual observance every year. It was amazing. But right here in the center of the treasury, where Jesus is standing, right here for this story, four huge torches were set up. And historians say that these torches would actually go above the walls of the temple. On top of these torches were huge golden candelabra that held 65 liters of oil. There was a ladder for each of them, and each night the young and strong priests would carry the oil to the top where they would fill up the bowls and they would light the protruding wicks. Are you getting the picture here? When these torches were illuminated, the whole temple and actually much of Jerusalem would be underneath the gaze of this light. In fact, you could see this light from miles away as you look towards Jerusalem. It was a beautiful picture. Then the holiest of men would dance the night away and play music on several instruments as they rejoiced and they praised and they sang songs until dawn came. It was a very dramatic and exotic celebration, actually, during this festival to remind people of what? That great pillar of light that led them in the Exodus. You say, what are you talking about? Remember as they wandered in the wilderness from the Exodus, they were led and protected by a pillar of smoke during the day to shade them from the sun, and then at night, their path was illuminated by this pillar of fire, this bright light that was shining. And the Israelites knew that in this pillar of fire resided the glory of God, the Shekinah glory is what they referred to. They said the Shekinah glory dwells there in this fire, in this pillar of fire. In 1 Kings 8, we see that it is this pillar that actually fills the temple. In Exodus 13, the people looked at this cloud and as this fire, and they saw it as God's immediate presence with them. So when they looked at this pillar, when they looked at this light, they knew God is with us. That is his Shekinah glory, his proof that he is with us here. So they're remembering this all during this festival. But what what do you mean remembering? It's not just looking back and saying, oh, this is how God was faithful to us, but it's looking back and longing. It's an intense longing for his presence again. Because you remember what the prophet Ezekiel spoke. He used the word Ichabod which actually means this, God's glory is gone. That prophet said, the glory of God is gone from you, Israel. So they are longing, they're rejoicing, but they're also longing for that glory, that light to return. The lights have just gone out from this festival as they walk here in this treasury, this court of women here. You could still smell the oil and the char from these 
huge candelabra, and Jesus speaks these words. I am the glory light. He says, I am the Shekinah glory in the flesh right here before you. What you so long for is right here in front of you. It's me. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He says, it's me or darkness. Talk about grabbing people's attention. This beautiful setting, the background that they're all aware of, and Jesus says, I am he. Jesus here is at the very least claiming to be God. All throughout the Old Testament, God is called light. And in almost the very last verse of the Old Testament, Malachi 4.2, we see these words in regard to Jesus. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And after Jesus' birth, Simeon took Jesus into his arms and he sang these song, this word. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising of the sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in the darkness and in the shadow of death. So John says in chapter 1, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son. What is he referencing here? In part, the transfiguration. Do you remember that story? Peter and James and John go up with Jesus to the top of this mountain, and what happens? Moses and Elijah come down from heaven, and Jesus is transfigured. His face is shining before them in their presence. And what does Peter say? Let's build them booths or tents. Do you see this? In response to Jesus' glory and his shining, he references here this Feast of Tabernacles by saying, let's build them booths. So Jesus here before all of these people is saying, I am the one that protected you and guided you in the wilderness. It is me. I filled the tabernacle with glory. I covered this place. I am the one that filled the temple of Solomon with so much glory that the priests fell down because they could not stand. Their legs were too weak. I am, is what Jesus is saying. And John knows how powerful these words are because he says down in verse 20, I'm surprised that no one came and arrested Jesus and tried to kill him after he said these words. But what does this even mean? Just briefly, you remember what we want and we love about light, right? It's the source of life, reality, and hope. Jesus is saying here, I am the ultimate source of life. I am the ultimate reality. I am the ultimate source of joy and hope. He doesn't do any miracles. He doesn't do any stunts. He just uses his words. And that is enough. There's no other light than Jesus. Everything else is darkness. Let's take a quicker look at the conversation that follows this statement. Look down. Do you see the rest of this conversation? Nothing else is said about light. Nothing. So he just drops this huge, powerful statement, and he doesn't say anything else about it? Actually, he does. But look at what the Pharisees say. You're bearing witness about yourself, and your testimony is not true. And it appears as though Christ drops all of this light stuff and walks away from it to follow their rabbit trail. But Jesus doesn't do that. He uses the rabbit trail to actually make his point. He continues the conversation, explaining that this light of the world stuff actually is his relationship with God the Father. You see it emphasized. Over and over, he talks about how he and the Father are one. 
and his words are God's words. Do you see this? Actually verifying his statement, I am the light of the world. He drives them back to the Father, the light, the very thing for which they longed. And Jesus says, I am this glory veiled in flesh. You can actually look upon this glory because it's me. The visible expression of the invisible God. And as we've been going through this series, you may have noticed that this series is not a typical Christmas series. It's not feel good, really. There's been a lot of challenge for us. Why? It's because the light demands a response. It shines and it dispels darkness and in its action, it demands action of its own. So if it's truly Jesus or darkness, then there is a call for us. There's a call to action. And let's look at that. It's right here in this passage. Let's look at the call. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Verse 12. This is primarily a positive thing of that which we have. The Israelites would keep their eyes on this cloud and on this pillar of fire. No matter how dark the night would be, there would never be any confusion or fear or uh, wondering about where they were going to go because they had the light. That's what Jesus is saying here. You have the light. No matter how dark your world gets, you will not be overcome if you have the light. No fear. No confusion, no wondering if you have the light. Look at that word have. It actually describes the fact that we not only have this for ourselves, but that we are in fact shafts of this light, dispelling the darkness that surrounds us. That's the positive side of it. But it also means this, that because we have the light, we will not walk in darkness, and that things, there's things that we don't do because we have the light. We will not continue and we will not pursue the darkness. So this phrase here talks primarily about what we have and what we are because of the light. And then secondarily, what we do and don't do because we have the light. You understand that? Does that make sense? So we see this word follow here. There can be many uses of this word follow, all of which are applicable to this call we don't have the time to look at them all today, but I think they can all be summed up actually in this passage from Numbers that talks about how the Israelites responded to this pillar of light. Look at these words. They'll be put up on the screen here in Numbers 9 here. On that day, the tabernacle was set up. The cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of testimony. And in the evening, it was over the tabernacle like an appearance of fire until the morning. So it was always. The cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. And whenever the cloud lifted from over the tent, after that, the people of Israel set out. And in the place where the cloud settled down, there the people camped. At the command of the Lord, the people of Israel set out, and at the command of the Lord, they camped. And as long as the cloud rested over the tabernacle, they remained in the camp. Even when the cloud continued over the tabernacle many days, the people of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and did not set out. Sometimes the cloud was a few days over the tabernacle, and according to the command of the Lord, they remained in the camp. Then according to the command of the Lord, they set out. And sometimes the cloud remained from evening until morning, and when the cloud lifted in the morning, they set out. Or if it continued for a day or night, when the cloud lifted, they set out. You get the picture here? 
Whether it was two days or a month or a longer time, the cloud continued over the tabernacle, abiding there, and the people remained in the camp and did not set out. But when it lifted, they set out. And at the command of the Lord, they camped. And at the command of the Lord, they set out. They kept charge of the Lord, and at the command of the Lord by Moses. Follow is exactly that picture. If Jesus goes somewhere, we follow. If he stays there a day, we stay there a day. If he stays there a month, we stay there a month. And we do not leave until he leaves. That's this picture. So because of what we have and who we are in Christ, we follow him by faithful submission and obedience to him. That's this picture here. So let me just close with three ways that we can respond to the light of Christmas. First off, come to the light. Alan talked about this last week. We must admit our own darkness and confess our need for the light. It's a moment-by-moment thing, not just a one-time thing that we did when we were little kids. It's experienced in what we do here each Sunday. It's an overflow of the depth of our need and the majestic reality that Christ has come and can fill that need and surpass that need grace upon grace. Come to the light, and God will show us things that we create as functional saviors, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, these little lights that are not lights at all. That identity that we've built up, and God shows us that it is a farce. Shows us who we really are. You see, it's Jesus or darkness. The end of this passage actually says that many people responded to his words and believed. They came to the light that day. 1 Peter 2.9 says that we have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Isaiah 9, Steve will reference this on Christmas Eve. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, and those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them the light has shone. If you are hearing this word today, the light is shining. Come to the light. God is calling each of us to come and return to this light. It's Jesus or darkness. There's no other light. Next, grow in the light. Let me ask you a question. What if an elephant came and lived in your home or an apartment for just a day? No, really, imagine that. If an elephant came and lived in your home or your apartment for a day, are you going to know that the elephant was there? Of course. It's going to be messed up. There's going to be a lot of stuff around that you don't want to be around, but it's going to be messed up. You're going to be able to tell, wow, something massive was here and happened here. Is Jesus any different? We talked about the majesty of this light of life. And if this light has come into our lives, there will be a difference that is visible. You see it over and over and over again. It doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect by any means. But there will be a difference because the elephant has come. And people are going to see it. John 12 says this, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Ephesians 5, for at one time you were in darkness, but now you are the light of the Lord. Walk as children of light. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord and take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. 
We have to be just as those rose bushes in my garden that are leaning towards the light, trying to find that light so that we can grow because we know that in that light there is life. That's what takes place here. We find other people, we find groups in which we can grow and we place ourselves in in those places because we know that that's where growth happens, as painful as that may be sometimes. We put ourselves there so that we know that we are growing, stretching ourselves. It's like hot tea. Put the tea bag in there and it, it steeps for a while. That's, that's this meditation of the word. It's not a clearing of my mind, but it's actually a filling of my mind, of the word of the Lord, so that as it, the longer it steeps, the more rich and flavorful it becomes. It's growing in the light. We just sit and we kind of bask in it. But then finally, go with the light. Let's look at this passage in Matthew 5. You might be familiar with these words. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all that are in their house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We have lamps and lampstands in our home, right? Rarely, unless somebody's trying to be real artsy, do you see a lamp that doesn't have a shade over it, right? What do we try to do with the shade? First off, sometimes we try to make it real pretty. This is not a lamp. It's just something really pretty here, right? What else do we do? We want to soften the light, right? We don't want the light to be as harsh, so we put a shade over top of it. Or we want to direct the light in a certain place. We don't want the light over here. We want the light over here, so we use the shade to direct the light. What does this passage say? Don't put a lampshade on it. But when we go with the light, what do we do as human beings? We're constantly putting a shade on it. We'll take it off when we come to church, because here we can shine, right? But we go to the place where we might experience a little bit of confrontation, and whoo, the shade comes down, and it's a real pretty shade, right? Because we have to make the gospel look clean and not so offensive. But this light is who we are. Romans 2.19 says this, You yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness. Then the past couple weeks, there's been a, one of our students that actually made the decision to take the lampshade off and face the persecution that they might have experienced from their friends because they were willing to say, you know what, this is what I believe. This is who I am. It's not just a part of who I am. This is who I am. And they were willing to stand in spite of it. So it's, it's who we are. We can't shy away from that. So stop trying to put this shade on. But it's where we are, too. You know, I know that there are people in this room that work at McDonald's. There are people here that work at, at Kroger. There are people here that are principals at schools. There are people here that are teachers at school. There's people here that are downtown at law offices. Do you think you're there by accident? No. God has put you there for a specific reason because you are light and he wants you to shine right there. You say, well, I don't have a job right now cool, you have an awesome opportunity as you go and get a bunch of interviews to be light in those places or more time at home to share and shine that light at home. You say, well, I, I don't have a job. Yeah, you do if you're a mom. You just don't get paid for it. 
shining that light into the heart of your children. You say, well, it's not appropriate in my job to shine the light. Okay. Ask yourself if you're just putting a shade on first. Then let's assume maybe it isn't appropriate for you to shine the light. I say that you can shine the light through your love, through the way that you work, how good of a job you do. This light shines. First John says this, walk in the light as he is in the light. And if you're walking in that light, if you are that light, you're going to be shining. Proverbs 4.18 says, But the path of the righteous is like a light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter till the full day. May we be that path of righteousness for people. This past week, I was standing in line at a store, and I looked up, and there were four or five people in front of me. And the lady that was checking people out, it was written all over her face that she was just having an awful day. And I thought, oh boy. And the people that were in front of me, you know, were just normal customers going through the line. And I thought, well, what? how can we change this a little bit? And all I did was use her name when I said hello. And she looked up, and she gave the brightest smile. You see, it doesn't have to be difficult. That's just a little bit of light that can change someone's world. And we have opportunities, each of us. But what do we do? We put that shade over. So it's not just realizing that we are light, and it's not just realizing that we need to shine where we are, but it's also finding the darkness and shining there. And this is where we fail a lot. I have a perfect illustration this past week of many people that uh, claim Christianity, and I don't doubt that claim because of this. But what do we try to do? We take that lampshade and we turn the light where it's most easy to turn, right? Where it's easiest? Let's shine our light through social media on a huge network for canceling a guy. Yeah, I'm going to shine my light there. I'm going to let them have it. All the while, we say nothing about the hundreds of people that are being killed in Sudan because they are Christians. It's what we do as humans. We shine the light where it's easy. We don't even reference the fact that there are people today in Richmond being sold into the sex slave trade. That's dirty. I don't want to shine the light there. I'll just keep the lampshade on and shine it over here where it's easy. It doesn't mean that we have to be involved in every ministry in the world. That's not what it's talking about at all. But this passage is saying, follow. And if I read the Gospels correctly... Jesus went to those places that he knew he would get dirty. He knew that he would be ridiculed by the religious people for going there, and he knew that he would be shunned by all those people that called him family and friend. Are we willing to go with the light to those places rather than manipulating the light to go where we want as if we could choose who comes to Jesus and who doesn't come to Jesus? It's Jesus or darkness. There is no other light. He alone is the source of life, reality, and hope. It is because He came to earth in flesh that we can truly sing joy to the world. The Lord has come. And they not just be mere words. 
So I want to end with this passage from John 12. It says this, So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Come to him today. Let's pray. Father, in these moments here, we ask that your spirit would reveal to us those ways in which we try to put a shade on who you are and who you have made us into as children of light. God, we thank you that you truly are light of the world and the darkness will not overcome that light. So we confidently stand before you asking that you would help us this week in our families, in our homes, with our friends, with our neighbors, with, our, with the strangers that we meet, that we would be people that are shining your light in the darkness for your glory, we pray. Amen.